Tonight we are considering Baptist Catechism 37. The question is, what is adoption? And repeat the answer after me, brothers and sisters, adults and children alike. Adoption is an act of God's free grace. Whereby we are received into the number. And have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Let us go now to Romans chapter 8 and read verses 12 through 17. Uh, we learn something about this doctrine of adoption here. Romans 8 verse 12 Paul writes to the church in Rome saying, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So far the reading of God's holy word, may He add His blessing to the preaching of it this evening. So we are considering the benefits or the blessings that belong to those who have been effectually called. That is to say, to those who have believed upon Christ. What benefits or blessings do they receive? And the first blessing that they receive is justification. Those who believe upon Christ are pardoned by God, who is the judge of all the earth. And having been pardoned, which means to be declared not guilty, these are accepted as righteous in God's sight. And so as I said last week, that is quite the transition. That is a radical transition. Uh, sinners are moved from being guilty before God and under His wrath to being declared not guilty. And they partake then of, of His love and of His grace. So that is a major transition that takes place the moment we believe upon Christ. The moment we believe upon Christ, we are moved from standing guilty before God to standing as righteous before Him. And all of this is possible only because Jesus the Christ lived a righteous life on our behalf and paid for our sins when He died on the cross. He takes away the sins of those who believe upon Him and He gives them His righteousness as if it were their own. The picture that I have in my mind whenever I think of this idea is, is someone standing there with, with garments that maybe originally were white, but now they're just filthy. Can you picture that? Uh, these, these garments that are supposed to be white, but they are stained with everything imaginable. There, there's mud all over these garments. They're filthy. Uh, but can you imagine that one, having those garments removed and then replaced with garments that are gleaming white, whiter than anything you have ever seen before? And that is what happens with those who come to faith in Christ. They stand before God originally in their sin, filthy and stained. But upon believing upon Christ, they are given the righteousness of Christ as their own. They are clothed with garments that are, are gleaming white. And it is right that justification 
is listed as the first blessing that those who believe upon Christ receive. There's a reason why it is put in the first place. The problem of sin and guilt is so very great that it would be impossible to receive any of these other blessings that we are going to talk about unless that problem is taken care of. If we stand guilty before God, if we are His enemies and under His wrath, then it is impossible for us to be blessed by Him. The problem of sin and guilt must first be addressed, and so it is. The moment we believe upon Christ, we are justified by His grace. But that is not all. I think that is the point of the sermon this evening. That is not all we receive. That is not the only blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. And I do love how our catechism brings this out. The forgiveness of sins is not the only blessing that comes to those who have faith in Christ. No, we must also talk about adoption, which we are talking about tonight, and sanctification, which we will talk about next week, and the many other blessings which either accompany or flow from these. I have noted in the past that justification is a legal term. Uh, the image that we should have in our mind is that of a judge dressed in his black robe with a gavel in his hand, and he makes the declaration not guilty as he slams his gavel down. What a wonderful relief those words must be to the one on trial. And what a wonderful relief those words are to the sinner, saved by grace. God declares them to be not guilty. But as I have said before, the courtroom is a cold environment. Do you know what I mean by that? It is not a warm and loving environment, but it is a, a rather cold environment. I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom before to witness a trial, but the atmosphere is not one of warmth, of love and affection. It is cold. It is, it is legal. And so I am so very glad that when God the Father sent Christ to save us from our sins, He did not merely intend to pardon us and then to send us away not guilty. Indeed, that would have been a great blessing if that's all that it was. But instead, He pardoned us so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be reconciled to God, so that we might be adopted as His beloved children. Do you see the difference between these two things? Uh, the one is necessary for the others to, to take place, but they are very different things. Uh, justification might be a legal term, and it might be somewhat cold, but when you combine it with this wonderful doc, uh, doctrine of adoption, we see that our salvation is not cold and distant at all, but it is a very warm thing. Adoption is a family term. It is not legal and cold, but familial and warm. And when you think about adoption, you are to think not of a courtroom, but of a family room and the dinner table. You are to think of a father, a mother, and a child. You are to think of love, discipline, and education. You are to think of relationships bound together forever. You are to think of shared moments, life lived together with laughter and with tears. It's, it's a warm environment that we are to imagine, one filled with, with love. And brothers and sisters, in Christ you are not only justified by God. No, you have been justified so that you might also be adopted by Him. And this is why we can call Him Father. There are many who teach that God is the Father of all, and that all are His children. Perhaps you've encountered this teaching before. It is not at all uncommon in, in our age. And there is a sense in which that is true. 
If we are using the term Father to say that God is the source of all, or that He is the creator of all, then of course we, we agree with that. In, in that sense, He is the, the Father of all. But when the Scriptures speak of God as Father, it is not often in that sense. Instead, God is called Father not because He is our Creator, but because He has set His love upon us, because He cares for us, disciplines and instructs us, protects us, and has an inheritance prepared for us. We call Him Father because He has made us His children. And if we use the name Father in this sense, as the Scriptures do, then we must confess that not all have God as Father. In fact, when Christ spoke to those who persisted in their unbelief, He he said some very challenging things to them. Uh, Perhaps one of the most challenging things that He said is, You are of your father, the devil. So here, these religious leaders who should have recognized the Christ, they were persisting in their unbelief and they were seeking to to put Christ even to death. And uh, they were telling lies in the meantime. And he looked at them and said, You are of your father, the devil. And Paul teaches that we are by nature children of wrath, as you know. So no, all do not have God as Father, but only those who are united to Christ by faith, Christ being the only begotten Son of God. We are sons and daughters of God only if we are in the Son. We should remember that Christ taught His disciples and not the unbelieving world to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. That prayer, Our Father who art in heaven, is to be the prayer of the one who has faith in Christ. And we should remember the the teaching of John, the apostle, who said, speaking of Jesus Christ, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so who are those who have the right to become children of God that John refers to? Who are these? They are those who believe upon Christ, the eternal Son of God, come in the flesh. He came to atone for sins and to reconcile us, to bring us back to the Father. Now this teaching about adoption is so very important. But sometimes it does get lost And I'm not sure the reasons for it exactly. I have some ideas. But sometimes this doctrine, the doctrine of adoption, seems to be pushed to the side as theologians debate about justification and its relationship to sanctification. Justification and sanctification are very important doctrines too. And we have talked about one, we will talk about the other But sometimes this doctrine of adoption, which we are now considering, it just kind of gets lost in the shuffle. It gets pushed to the side, but it shouldn't. It needs to grab our attention. We must be careful to not neglect the doctrine of adoption. Think of what happens if we do. If we neglect adoption and focus only on justification and sanctification, then we begin to think that Christ died only to forgive forgive our sins to save us from the just wrath of God, and to make us better people as we live in this world. Indeed, Christ did die to accomplish these things, but we must not forget that He died 
to reconcile us or to bring us back to the Father so that He might be our Father and we are His children. Do you remember that parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son? It's a very famous story that Jesus told. It's a wonderful parable. And there's so much to learn from it. But I'd like to use it this evening to illustrate what I'm here saying. Do you remember the story of how the son disrespected his father by asking to have his inheritance early before his father died? And then he took his inheritance only to waste it on filthy living? Do you remember how the son, after growing destitute, after having wasted his father's inheritance and having been left with nothing, how he began to come to his senses and he began to say to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What was this prodigal son hoping for as he returned to the father? He was, he was merely hoping to be forgiven. You don't have to receive me back into the house, father. You don't even have to treat me like a son, but, but just... Just forgive this wickedness of mine and treat me like one of your servants. That will be enough. That's what he expected. He didn't expect much from his father. He only wished to be forgiven so that he could serve in his father's household, even at a distance. He certainly did not expect to be reconciled to his father and warmly embraced. But do you, you remember what happened in that parable, in that story? The prodigal son arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But, but what did the father do? The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, this parable is not exactly a parable about the doctrine of adoption that we are considering tonight. But it does illustrate what I am saying here about our salvation. When we come to faith in Christ, we are not merely forgiven by the Father. And then kept at a distance by Him. No, we are instead warmly embraced by God the Father. We are lavished with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we are received as beloved children of God. This doctrine of adoption compels us to draw near to God as Father in a way that the doctrines of justification and sanctification do not. To know that we have been adopted as beloved sons and daughters should move us to come to the Father, to speak to Him in prayer, to trust in Him for provision and protection, and to rejoice even in His discipline which always proceeds from his love for us. Again, the doctrine of adoption is warm and familial. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, the apostle says. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let us now briefly consider the catechism piece by piece. What is adoption is the question. The first thing that we learn is that adoption is an act of God's free grace. 
And so adoption, like justification, is an act. It is an action that is accomplished all at once. You are not progressively justified, are you? No, you are justified by God, that is to say declared not guilty, all at once and in a moment, the moment that you believe. And neither are you adopted progressively. Instead, both justification and adoption are accomplished fully and finally in the moment that you turn from your sins to trust in Christ. Adoption is an act. If you are in Christ, God justified you. Um, excuse me. Adoption, like justification, is also said here to be an act of God. It is an act of God. If you are in Christ, God justified you. You did not justify yourself. And so it is with adoption. God adopted you. You did not adopt yourself. You did not choose to be adopted. And so justification and adoption are things that God does to us and for us. And we contribute nothing at all. And adoption is an act of God's free grace, our catechism teaches. For by grace you have been saved. And that includes being justified and adopted through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so you did nothing to earn your justification, nor did you do anything to earn your adoption, and neither can you do anything to lose your justification and adoption, because they were the free gift of God from, from the very beginning. If you are justified, you cannot be unjustified. And if you are adopted, you cannot be unadopted. You did not earn these blessings in the beginning, nor must you earn the right to keep them, for they are acts of God's free grace. The word whereby in our catechism indicates that we are about to be told what adoption involves. First, when we are adopted, we are received into the number, we are told. This means that we are numbered as one of God's children. We are made to be members of His household. We are made to be citizens in His kingdom. We are counted as sheep of His pasture. As Christ said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. So brethren, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, 1 John 3.1. Secondly, when we are adopted, we come to have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And what are these privileges that our catechism refers to here? I suppose they are really too, number, too numerous and too great for us to list. But three things do come to mind. What are these privileges that we have as sons of God? Well, first of all, we have access to God as Father. We can come to Him in prayer, crying out, Abba, Father, as Romans 8.15 says. And what a high privilege this is, to be able to come to God the Father in prayer, to be able to come confidently before Him and to call Him by this name. Two, we have the assurance of God's love. And truly, this also is a great privilege. It should bring peace and comfort to our souls, even as we experience difficulty in this world. And even if we come under the Father's discipline, we can rest assured that God does love us. Why does He love us? Because we are worthy? No, He loves us because He has determined to set His love upon us. 
And so even when we come under the Father's discipline, we could be assured of His love. Do not forget that for those whom God, for those who love God, all things work together for good, Romans 8.28, even the difficult things of life. And, and do not forget that the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. In fact, being disciplined by the Lord is a sign of His love for us, and we should see His discipline as such. When those who are alienated from God because of their sin experience difficulty in this life, they assume that God is against them. Perhaps you have noticed this. This bad thing has happened to me and this challenging thing has come into my life. It must be that God is angry with me, is how they reason. But when a child of God experiences difficulty, they may rest assured that God loves them, for they have been adopted as beloved children by His grace. And three, we have the privilege of a sure and unfading eternal inheritance. As Paul again says, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So if we are united to Christ by faith, we have been adopted as sons of God, we have this inheritance uh, that cannot fade, it cannot be taken away. These are some of the privileges that belong to those who have been adopted, who are now beloved sons and daughters of God. And as we conclude, brothers and sisters, I wish to encourage you to think of your salvation in Christ, not merely in terms of the forgiveness of sins and of rescue from the wrath of God and flame in the flames of hell for all eternity. Uh, to be rescued by God in this way, to be pardoned and forgiven in, in, indeed, is a great blessing. We have been saved from these things in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God. But think also of your adoption. Do not forget adoption. Remember that you have been forgiven so that God might reconcile you to Himself. His aim was to draw you near, to bring you in, to make you sons and daughters so that you might be His and He might be yours. Truly God is glorified in us when we draw near to Him as Father when we rely upon His sustaining grace and enjoy His loving presence. Indeed, this we will do for all eternity if we are in Christ the Son. And so what is adoption? Would you repeat after me? Adoption is an act of God's free grace, is an act of God's free grace. whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges Of the sons of God. Amen. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Father in heaven, help us as your children to draw near to you, uh, to seek to commune with you. Uh, for we were once alienated from you, but you have brought us near through the shed blood of Christ. So God, may we take pleasure in knowing you, May we take comfort in knowing you. May we walk with you faithfully in this world, knowing that you are with us and that you will bring us safely home. Father, help us to think of our salvation in these terms. We thank you for our justification. We thank you for our sanctification. But we thank you so very much that you have adopted us as your beloved children. It's in the name of Christ we pray and all of God's people say.